me just switch from dad to preacher. It's a lot of fun back there. Make some room as well. It's, wow. A lot of pamphlets up here, guys. A lot of good announcements. Well, if you don't know who I am, some of you, I know I feel like we have a lot of times people here for the first time, and that's exciting, so I'll just say I'm Brandon. I'm uh, not originally from Germany, originally from Texas, so I'll say howdy to all of y'all. Yeah, okay. A few of you have been to Texas, I know, so you know what y'all means. But, um, yeah. I'm actually, I just want to say that I'm really glad to be here with you guys. I'm excited about what God's been doing and what God wants to do today in this series we've been going through. It's been, uh, we're in week 14 already. For those of you who've been here from the beginning, it seems like, whoa, really? 14 weeks already? I thought this book only had like five chapters. What's going on? But it's been a good one. And our series has been called, or we've been going through, Standing Out in a Foreign World. And we're kind of making our way fairly slowly through this kind of dense, deep uh, text that Peter gives us in his first letter. And actually, we've decided recently, after this, we're just going to go right into the second letter. So get used to Peter. We're going to be hearing a lot from him. But as we've been going through, we've been kind of keeping in mind a couple key themes that that you can see from beginning to end, that just all throughout the text, this is laid in really thick, And number one is that we are not of this world, but children of God, right? We're exiles, he calls us, foreigners. We're not of this place. We're a holy nation. We belong to the kingdom of God. And as such, we are to live and conduct our lives in a way that should look different to the world around us. We should stand out in a foreign world. I've traveled a little bit in in different places, and there's definitely certain places when you come as a Westerner, everyone knows you're a Westerner. So we want to stand out like that. We want to look different when we are amongst the people of this world. We should conduct ourselves differently. And that's something that we see, I think, clearly in the text we're going to be looking at today. Number two, a, a clear kind of continuing reminder throughout this letter is that we will also be treated differently as foreigners and exiles. And often that includes suffering and persecution. And this was just as a kind of, those of you who maybe haven't been here for the series, this isn't in my notes, but just to kind of give you a background, Peter is writing this right under the reign of Nero and right before the fires of Rome, which is uh, was a lot of fires happened in Rome and The Christians got blamed, and as such, uh, they began to be persecuted heavily and martyred on a regular basis, killed and hung and burned in the streets of Rome. And so this is right before this. So Peter maybe even had a a bit of a, a sense of what was maybe coming, hadn't gotten that bad yet, but it was right around the corner, and then over the next decade and decades, it would get really severe. And so he is constantly encouraging them how to deal with suffering as Christians and keeping the broader perspective of what's to come in mind. And so we're keeping this in mind. We know that we're, to, we're supposed to follow Christ's example, and we, we, follow, we want to follow his example in, in how we love each other and love the world and in our, the mercy we show, the joy we have in our hearts, the forgiveness we give to others, and many more of his traits. But we also want to be 
following him in his willingness to suffer. And this too is clear in the text and what we'll get into today. So let's dive right in. And uh, even though there's no water references in this text today, for those of you who were here last week, Sam made fun of me for saying dive in too often. But I like it, so we're going to dive in anyway. So to begin, I think let's reread verse 1. And we're going to read all of these verses again. We're going to go through this bit by bit. There's a lot here, and we won't get to every aspect of what this text has to offer. But I do want to kind of keep the flow. This is a letter. We want to see what Peter is trying to unfold and how he's trying to unpack it. And I think that here in verse 1, we really see a foundation for the rest of the text kind of sets the stage for everything we're going to be looking at. He kind of, this passage is a nice, neat little kind of, it has this amen at the end. It, it feels compact and all-inclusive, and it really starts here. But I also want to encourage you to be paying attention because I believe this is a fundamental part of how we are to truly change or be changed in the way that we live our lives and changing the way that we live our lives. So I think we see a lot of Important things here. Let's read verse 1 again. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Now, if you read that really quickly and don't think too much about it, it can be pretty easily misunderstood or misread, I feel like. Uh, at first glance, it seems like, what is, what is Peter really telling us? It sounds like that in suffering... We won't sin anymore. If you're in suffering in the body, that you won't sin. And this has actually been used throughout history to kind of have a really warped understanding of suffering. But that's not what he's saying. Simply put, no. He's not saying that in suffering you will never sin. We know that. We know that in suffering, even in persecution, in abuse, we can still sin. We can, we're still capable of sinning. So then what is he really telling us? I believe there's a vital truth here, as I mentioned, that we need to understand, we need to know it, so that, as, as Peter's going to put it, we can arm ourselves with it. But to arm ourselves with it, let's first maybe break it down, try to understand it a little bit better. So it says, therefore, and I've mentioned this many times from up here, I'll say it again, anytime there's a therefore, it's always kind of like a, so everything we've just looked at, let's add, now we're going to add this to it. And so we have to kind of keep in mind, he says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, Peter is continuing to build on his previous point. A lot of what we looked at last week and the last 13 weeks. We won't do a recap of the last 13 weeks, I promise. But I do think it's good to kind of maybe get, I, I tried to find a verse that really puts it all together. It's one of the ones that he's really building on in, in light of what he's saying here in Christ's suffering, and that we read, it's what we read last week in chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So we see his suffering, we see what he did, we see how he. He, therefore, since he suffered in the body, well, what does that mean? This is the foundational point. Last week, Sam talked about this, so I won't get into a lot of detail, but our assurance that we have. Our assurance in Christ's suffering on the cross and his resurrection. 
What Jesus did on the cross, and this is where it becomes our assurance, where we kind of put our hope in, we see Jesus as this perfect, righteous Jesus Christ, suffering for our, the unrighteous, sins. Our assurance is in knowing this, and knowing that what he did is once and for all time. It's not something that needs to be repeated. He doesn't need to die again. Again, Sam looked at this last week. We don't have to, Jesus doesn't have to go to the cross every week, every month, every year to pay for the sins, the new sins. It was once and for all. And when we believe on him and we trust in him and follow him, we can have this steady assurance in what he did for us and that it is done. It's complete. And that's good news. You guys should be way more excited when I talk about this stuff. That's good news. That's an assurance we have. Man, even the sins I did today, even the sins I did yesterday, and the sins I'm going to do tomorrow is paid for in full. I have assurance in that. All right, I'm excited. You can join join me later. So now from that, it's, he says, arm yourselves. And I think the first foundational point of that is to arm ourselves first with this assurance. That's the foundation. It's the bedrock. We cannot build any higher until we understand this truth. We can't have a wishy-washy understanding of our faith and, oh, was it enough? Did Jesus really, did he cover my sins? And Bob, but he doesn't know what I've done. You have assurance There's nothing you can do that Christ did not pay for on the cross. Knowing Jesus paid it all in full. But Peter wants to then expand on this and adds, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Now that gets a little bit more interesting. Arm ourselves with, not only do we want to have this assurance, that's where everything kind of, we have to start there, but we want to arm ourselves with this attitude So what was Jesus' attitude towards his suffering? John 10, 18, I think, says it really well. Uh, There's a lot we could look at. Peter's already talked a lot about this in the first few chapters, but this is a good, nice summary. He says, this is Jesus talking, No one takes it from me. He's talking about his life. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He's saying, I'm giving it up. I'm giving my life. I'm walking into this suffering knowing what is waiting for me. Christ chose to suffer for our sins. He gave his life willingly. He could have easily stepped down off the cross at any point. Legions of angels were at his command. He chose to suffer. If we arm ourselves with this attitude of a willingness to suffer, now how can we have that? Well, we have a willingness to suffer because we can always have the greater perspective in mind. We know where we're headed. We know what we, who, who we belong to, right? We're children of God. We're kingdom. We're of, of His kingdom. Everything in this world is temporary, and we look forward to what's to come. And so we can arm ourselves with this attitude And when we do, it's going to create a totally new perspective, a totally new mindset in how we think and how we see suffering. And it's going to alter our perspective toward sin in our day-to-day. 
As we push through the rest of this text today, we'll see kind of several ways in which this armor, to be armed with this attitude, attitude, armor, I don't know, sounds kind of funny to me, will transform us in different areas of our lives practically. So we're going to get to that. But what are we really armed with? Well, we're armed with this readiness and this willingness to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And I think this needs to be talked about in Western world because we are, it's so distant from, from our daily lives to truly say, I'm willing to suffer for the name of Christ. When in reality, most of us aren't even willing to tell the people we work with that we are Christians or what we do on a Sunday at 5 o'clock. To stand, it's, we want to arm ourselves with this readiness, this willingness to stand for Him, for Jesus Christ, our belief in Him and our relationship to Him, no matter the cost. To be so sure in ourselves, in our assurance of what He's done for us, that we're willing to stand firm in it. Now, if you have this perspective rooted again first in, our, in this assurance of the nature of Christ's death and His resurrection for your sins and it would and you would say hey to the best of my knowledge I don't know obviously no one here can say unless you've experienced that with complete confidence that gun to my head I would choose Christ that I would truly be willing to die for him if I had to but you can say to the best of my knowledge I treasure him and I want to treasure him in that way and and I think I would lay down my life for Jesus yeah I think I would do that if I really had to, but we can kind of take this idea and then make it practical in our daily lives, and that's where it becomes more work. It's easy to think, well, maybe someday if I had to, I would be willing to die for him. But how much more then should you, should we be willing to live for Christ? To live for Christ in the midst of suffering in the midst of troubles and turmoil. And we see a result of this perspective, of this armor, of this life change in verse 2. He says, As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So we have people who've who've armed themselves, they've, they've experienced this assurance and how God, what God has done to bring them to him, And then we see this direct result, a shift in not only how we see things, but in in how we want to live our lives. You know, I think of the song we sing, it's talking about the Spirit of God. It changes us, it changes what we see, and it changes what we seek. I think it's a really good image for this When we have this perspective, when we change the way we think about this stuff, it changes not only us, but it changes what we see, how we see the world around us, how we see others, how we see ourselves, and and what we're wanting to seek in different situations. So we need to arm ourselves with this willingness to suffer. If you do, you've clearly then made a serious shift in how you view sin. Because... How much more, if we're willing to suffer for him, are we going to avoid sin? That's not to say that you won't sin. Like I said, I don't think, it can't be what he's saying. It would go against a lot of other passages of scripture. 
We know that we'll still sin, we'll still mess up, we'll fall short. And God's grace will be there to lift us up, to sustain us. But when we truly grasp this, you're going to, you're going to be done messing around with that. It's going to change what you seek. You're not going to want to try to navigate the lines between sin and righteousness. You're going to want to run the other way. As we looked at a few weeks ago, to turn from sin. And Peter says, it's enough. It's enough. Everything you've done, all the past sin, the the seeking that you've done in the past, it's enough. What does he say in verse 3? For you have spent enough time, it's been enough, enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Those are some interesting words that we don't use very often. So I thought maybe I would just quickly go through debauchery, that's like basically anything in excess. So if you're drinking, it's getting drinking way too much, doing excessive drugs or sex or whatever it might be, doing it in excess. Lust is just an unnatural uh, sexual craving, maybe for one particular person or just in general. Drunkenness, I feel like that's pretty clear. Everybody know what drunkenness is? If not, talk to me afterwards. Orgies, also, that's that was basically like sex parties. It was not uncommon at that time. Carousing. This was one that was, I think, does anybody know what carousing is? Yeah, it's a weird word we don't really use very often. So carousing is what you'll see all through the streets if Freiburg, you know, wins a, uh, a game here in the city. It's people being loud and drunk and maybe aggressive even walking through the streets. So that's carousing. And detestable idolatry, that kind of brings everything else into perspective because we kind of, if we look at all of these things, I think you can break them into two categories or two ways of thinking that applies to every single one of us when we're dealing with sin. One is escapism. We want realism. We want to, we want to see things the way God sees them. We want to be close to Him. And all of these things draw us into a place of escape from reality. It's all based in an escapism of what really is going on. And the other thing is idolatry brings everything else into perspective of placing anything above God as something we truly desire with our hearts. And that could be anything. It could be a person. It could be sports. It could be a game. It could be anything that you are saying, I, would run, I want to invest my money and my time, my energy into this more than the Lord. And that is something that is detestable. So we want, to, we want to rid ourselves of these things. It's been enough. And I think the thing to, the perspective that we kind of walk before we walk into this, hey, I'm armed with the, the, the willingness to suffer that Christ had, is we have this, I want to live for Jesus most of the time, almost always. But I mean, is it really a big deal if I go and get drunk at a party every now and then, maybe do a little bit of drugs. I mean, I'm not doing it on a regular basis. I mostly want to seek Jesus. Is it okay if I mess around with my girlfriend or my boyfriend sometimes? Is, is it really such a big deal? Does God really care? Is it okay if I attend the occasional orgy? I hope that's not the case for any of you. That was a test. I wanted to see if anybody was just like, well, 
I don't, I gotta, I gotta go. No. The point is to be armed with this attitude that Jesus had. And when we are, it'll change what we seek. The question will not be, how close can I get? And it still is okay. How much sin is too much sin? I can always get right with God later. I need to have these experiences first. I'm young. I want to experience things. And Peter is saying, it doesn't matter. No matter what your past is, how much or how little, it's enough. And let it be enough. If you come to Christ at 10 years old, you might not have had a huge past of sins, but it's enough. If you're 50, it doesn't matter what you've done, how much, how little, it's enough. Let it be enough. You did that. You lived that way. Now arm yourself with something different. Choose to reorient your life and attitude towards sin. And I want to encourage you guys to do that today. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It was Saturday night. Maybe you were out partying. It's a popular night to go party. Whatever it was, whatever, whatever your life is to this point, you can choose now to say, you know what, it's, a, it's enough. It's been enough. I want to reorient my life. I want to change my life where Christ is the center. Christ is the focus. Christ is, is my all in all. It doesn't mean that we don't hang out with people. It doesn't mean we need to like shut off certain relationships completely. I think there's definitely wisdom in, in how we interact with these things. For instance, you know, maybe those people that you say, well, I really want to continue those relationships. Well, maybe go invite them for coffee instead of saying, well, I have to go to the party if I want to see them. You can avoid these things, but I really encourage you to make that decision, to say, you know what, it's enough. It's been enough. And that's what Peter is challenging us to do today. Change how you see sin and what you seek. Arm yourself with this attitude of suffering as Christ did. Now, are you ready to live this out practically? What does it say in verse 4, or the rest of, or yeah, verse 4, beginning of verse 4? They are surprised that you do not join with them. They're surprised you don't join with them. Now, maybe you've experienced this. You've had moments where you said, you know what, hey, sorry, I can't, I can't join you guys. Or maybe this is exactly what you have feared. The people you used to go and party with, or whatever it might be, are asking you, hey, man, where are you at? It's a great party going on. And they're surprised that you don't want to do it. They're surprised that you don't want to be there. And they should be surprised because you've been changed. And then it says in the rest of verse 4, they heap abuse on you. The point there I want to make is that the gospel lived out when we truly say, it's enough. I want to live for Christ. I want to... I want to be a light in this world. When we do that, it will shed light on those people around us, and it sheds light into the dark places of the hearts of those around us. And that causes people to be pressed. And some of them will draw, be drawn into that light. Some people will be impressed. Hey, you know, I don't really get it, but I'm, I'm actually impressed at, at the way that you're being so steady and the way that you're changing your life. 
They might be intrigued. They want to ask more questions about what you believe and why, but others will not. They will reject what you believe and all that it stands for, and some will even reject you as a person. Will you choose to suffer for Christ's sake, for the name above all names, or will you in fear say nothing and be silent? We need to be able to give an answer for the hope that we've received. We looked at that in 1 Peter 3.15. To stand for our beliefs. And how small is this really? To just say, I can't because I believe in Jesus Christ. How small is this suffering? And yet many of us choose to, to say nothing, to avoid these situations and let the lost in our lives stay lost because we don't wish to appear foolish in their eyes. We should be clear about what we believe. We talked a lot about that when we looked at being able to give an account, a reason for the hope we have. We need to know that for ourselves first, so you can listen to that message if you missed it. We need to know that for ourselves, but we also need to be able to give that reason to others. And he goes on to say, because there will be a time when all of us stand before him. And our hope is that by any means necessary, those in our lives would come to know that truth, would come to know the hope that we have, would come to know Christ as we know him. In verse 5 it says, but they will have to give accounts to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And I think this is also meant to be an encouragement to remind us that God's in control. And I think not only because we can, as when we're really hurt, when we're really offended, when we're really attacked, we can want to seek revenge or justice, to have the last word. What do we really, what do we do when we're abused, insulted? ridiculed for saying, I believe in Jesus. I can't go with you. I can't do that anymore. I'd love to hang out with you, but I just, I can't do that. It's just unwise for me. Jesus is just that important in my life. Now, it's in our nature to crave justice because he mentions this. I will say that there is good places for justice. We won't have time to go into it, but, uh, I mean, we definitely... When people break the law, we want them, it's okay for the police to arrest them. I mean, we're not supposed to be completely, well, let God take care of it, you know. Let them murder until God stops them. Obviously, that's not the case. And I think for myself as a parent, when my son is getting a bit older, and if he's anything like I am or I was, then I will have some interesting experiences. (laughs) I was very rebellious when I was a teenager. My mom listens to this, so she's going to be like, amen. (laughs) And, uh, but, and obviously it's not, I'm not going to say, well, you know, let God deal with him, whatever. He'll be taught by God. God, God is the one who's just. Obviously there are places for us to, to have justice, and it's a good thing that it's in our hearts. But here in this context, there's a different, there's a different feeling. We don't want it to enter into revenge. And we want to follow in Jesus' steps, who was beaten on the cross, nailed to the cross, and said no harsh word against them, but prayed for them. 
said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They don't, they don't really get what they're doing here. Forgive them. What grace, what mercy, what love. Let that be our first response. Let that be the thing that we seek when mistreated for what we believe, when we stand firm on what we believe. I think of Stephen being martyred, stoned to death, and wouldn't we all want to just pick up a rock and throw it back at them? But he says, forgive them. Some will be cruel to us. And how small is that suffering when in many parts of the world there are people who are being martyred, being murdered, because they will not turn from following Christ. My point is, no matter the cost, let us stand firm in what we believe and hope that in this, our, that those around us would come to share in what we believe, but we must not seek revenge or ang- be angry with those, but seek to show them mercy, grace, forgiveness, and love as Christ also showed us. And know that ultimately Jesus Christ will stand as judge over all. All will have to give an account to him, not to us. And so we seek, as he did, to show mercy and love. Now I want to give a quick quick explanation of verse 6. It's a bit sidetracked, but I think it's important because Sam said I would last week. Because we talked about uh, how Jesus preached to the dead, and he kind of explained all that last week. You can listen to it online. But here he also uses this same terminology, but I think it has a different meaning. And so let me read verse 6, and then I'll tell you what I believe it means, just so you all know. (laughs) For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. That's where it gets interesting. So that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So a lot of people, or some people have claimed to say, okay, well, he preaches to the dead. That means that if you don't believe on earth and you die, that there's still a chance. Jesus is going to preach again after you're dead. And I don't believe that's what he is saying here. And I don't have time to go into all the reasons why I don't believe that's what he's saying. If you have more questions, you can come talk with me after the service, but I'll tell you what I believe he is saying. I believe he's also here trying to give an encouragement because he says this is why it was, this is why the, it was preached, why the gospel was preached. So we have this idea of people who've heard the gospel and they've believed the gospel, but they've now died. Maybe they were murdered, martyred for what they believe. And he's trying to say, so it says judged according to human standards in regard to the body. So I think pretty simply that means they've died. They don't, they're not alive anymore. In, as all human beings face the judgment of death, we all face death. We haven't, we're not immortal in this body. And so it says they were judged in the flesh, in the body, meaning they've died. So anyone who's, who's died has been judged in this manner, you could say. But it says then, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. And I think what he's trying to encourage them, and and we can see this because also Paul talks a lot about it, and I think there was a lot in several letters, so maybe this was a kind of a thing that people were unsure about, and he's trying to set them at ease. There was anticipation about Jesus coming again. 
That was always in all the letters we see preaching or talking about, hey, Jesus is coming again. There's a second coming. And so I think Peter is setting their minds at ease that, hey, those who have already died, they didn't miss the boat. It's not too late for them. It's not like, well, I, I, they died before Jesus came back, so what happens to them now? And he's saying, hey, they're alive. They're alive with God in the Spirit. They're, they're waiting also for Jesus to return. And then this anticipation is also seen in verse 7. It says, the end of all things is near. That's also really a big term we could go into a lot of depth with. But I think Peter is, it's definitely Peter's not claiming to say that Jesus is coming next week. He's not giving any kind of date. I mean, many times uh, Peter was standing with Jesus when he talked about things that needed to happen before his second coming. He also predicted Peter's death. So he, Peter would have known, well, I'm, the end might be near, but I won't, I won't see Jesus coming back because in uh, the end of uh, the Gospel of John, Jesus predicts Peter's death. So he's not saying any kind of particular time, but I think rather he's speaking from a certain perspective. And I think he's kind of maybe looking at it like, okay, look at the world right now. We just started, and on day one of the Holy Spirit being poured out, we had thousands added to the church. Now, in the past few decades, Paul has gone and planted tons of churches all over. And those churches are growing and spreading Things are happening. And also looking at some of the things that Jesus may have been, had Jesus had pointed to. And so we see things like people being healed, but we also see wars and rumors of wars. This was right before Rome was, was about to be heading into uh, war. And, and it might have looked like, because Jesus said that the uh, temple would be destroyed, it might have looked like that might have been something that was going to happen soon. We see persecution spreading which is another thing Jesus warned about. So he's saying, look at everything that's happening, man. The world's, things are, are moving. The end is near. And I think this is something that we can also take to heart today, to remember, hey, things are happening in the world. Things are changing. And we need to be armed. We need to be ready. We don't know when he's coming back exactly. Let's live every day armed fully, with what and, and giving all of ourselves to what Christ is calling us to do. And I want to kind of end uh, with a few things that I think Peter gives us uh, in addition to the armor that he's talked about, that I've talked about already. He gives us some other things that we can arm ourselves with practically that will, I believe, help us personally, but also help us as a community, to be strengthened as a community, which is really important because here is where we're meant to be strengthened, meant to be built up, prepared to be made into disciples. It's not, we're not here to fill chairs. We're not here to, you know, have nice snacks and, you know, say, oh, how's your week? Well, that's good stuff too. That's not the point of church. That's not where we want to end. I want you guys to be strengthened. I want you guys to be prepared for what God's calling you to do. I know some of you will be here Maybe for a few years, some of you might just be here for a few weeks. Maybe this is the, your first time and you're like, I'm not coming back. This is enough. The guy, this guy's way too passionate. I don't know. But whatever it is, my hope is that you would be built up, trained up, discipled in some way to be more prepared for what God's calling you to do. That's what we're meant to do as a church. So these are some things that will, I believe, help us to be armed as a community. So let's look at those. 
The first one is pray. It's an important one. It's a good one to start with. Verse 7, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So we want to be alert. We want to be sober minded. We want to be ready in prayer. And prayer and its importance to our daily lives, our walk with the Lord, and its effect on how we are to truly stand for what we believe in, in this world, cannot be understated. Prayer is vital. Be alert. Be ready in all seasons through your prayer life. And I'll give you a few things to keep in mind when it comes to prayer very quickly. Number one, pray to stay connected to your Father and your Savior. This is our quiet times. This is meditating on God's Word, spending time alone with Him, repenting of our sins and our struggles, giving our fears over to Him, but also praising Him, adoring Him, worshiping Him, and loving Him through this time together. So that's number one. Pray to stay connected to God and to Jesus Christ. Number two, pray for your brothers and sisters. We are to pray for each other. We need to pray for each other. And you can't pray for each other very easily if you don't know each other. That's why I always make a point to, hey, greet somebody. Get to know somebody you don't know because we want to know each other better so that we can be praying for one another. We need to pray for each other. In these times that we live in, there are some crazy things that are going on in the world that we need to be prepared for and be praying for strength in one another and helping each other deal with personal struggles as well. Number three, pray for the church. And I want to be specific. I would break that into two categories. So pray for the church, meaning this church. Pray for Calvary Chapel. Pray for this service. Pray for all that God is doing here in this church. The various events, the services that we have, the groups that meet, for the leadership and the future of the community, be praying for your church, praying for, for what God's doing and God to be continuing to build it up and to do what he wants to do through it. Pray for your church. And number four, pray for the Christian church of the world. And that means here in Freiburg, we want to pray for the other churches here in the city and in this nation of Germany and all the nations and especially those Especially those, and Sam talked about this also, I think, last week or the time before when he preached. But we want to especially be praying for those who are dealing with suffering. Real suffering in ways that we cannot even begin to imagine. Those who face death, imprisonment, who are living in hiding for their beliefs. That they would be armed with this kind of armor, with a joy in the midst of suffering. That can only come through grace, through God giving us that. And so we want to pray for them as well. The next thing, so we have prayer. We want to arm ourselves with prayer, and that builds up our community here in this church, in this city, the nation, and all nations. We want to be praying. The next thing is to love one another. We don't want to just pray for each other. We want to also love one another. They go hand in hand, but they can definitely miss each other at times. Above all, this is verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And this is actually a quote from Proverbs 17, something, 
sorry, I don't remember the exact verse. And when it talks about covering sins, what is he talking about? If, if that's a bit unclear, I think the, a simple way to kind of understand this is that we are to love each other in such a way that almost no sin that we commit toward one another is that we're not able to forgive, that we cannot forgive one another. And I, I, I talked about this a few weeks ago, so I won't go into detail, but I immediately think of family. If I look back at all, like I told you, I was a bit of a rebellious kid. If I wrote down every rebellious thing I did, everything that I said to my parents or to my sister, I think, how can they even allow me to be in the same room as them? And yet they love me. And yet they accept me. And that's not always the case. That's not always the case with every family. And I would say, I'm sorry if that's not the case for you. But let's have that be our goal here, to be that kind of family where we truly love each other in a way that it covers sins. Not to put them away or to hide them away or to pretend that they're not there. We want to deal with sin in each other's lives. But we don't want to let it be something that corrupts the community. We want to have love for each other that covers sin. And why do we want to have that? Because we want to seek to love each other grace, with grace, with mercy, with forgiveness, because that's how we want to be loved and how we have been loved through Jesus Christ. How much more should we show that love, mercy, and grace, and forgiveness toward one another? So we have pray, we have love one another, and the next one he gives us is to be hospitable. Verse 9, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That last part makes it more difficult. Now, I think just practically what's kind of going on here, I think, in the text is that, again, this was a time when persecution was becoming more rampant. It looked like things were becoming more dangerous for Christians. And a lot of it, Christians began to say, okay, well, I'm not going to stay in the hotels. I'm not going to stay in the hostels. I'm not going to stay where everyone else is staying because it's dangerous. And so they would stay with other Christians. And he's kind of saying, I think he's giving them the encouragement, hey, if someone knocks on your door and it's like 3 in the morning because they need a place to stay, don't do it with a whiny attitude. Like, ah, okay, yeah, I guess I'll make the bed. But like, be excited about it, that you are able to offer that to them, knowing that you would want the same in return. But I also think we are called to be hosts. This is a part of the vocation of all believers. So, sorry if you're a believer, it includes you. We're called to be hospitable. We're called to be hosts. And I believe that, I would say that this should be really taken into account in our lives. When you're looking for a new flat, if you find a flat and it's like way away from everyone you know and it's really small, maybe think, mm -hmm, you know, I don't know, I wouldn't be able to host anybody. I wouldn't be able to do a small group here. I wouldn't be able to, to answer a part of the call that God's given me on my life. Like really taking this into a level where we actually bring it into the way that we conduct ourselves in practical things. Or I'm looking for a flat. It, it's got to be one where I can have a small group. It's got to be one where I can host people when that's possible. And it's not about being just social with one another, but it's something that should be integrated into our Christian life and be one of our Christian traits that we live out. I think for my own life, Rebecca and I, we don't have a lot of space, as a lot of you know. A lot of you have been there. It's very small. 
And I know, I want to sympathize with you, I know that it's not always easy. I have a full-time, or I have a job during the week. I know that sometimes you're busy, sometimes you have things going on, you're tired, maybe you're even embarrassed that your place is not as clean as you'd like it to be, or not the way you'd like, or not the kind of flat you'd like to live in. But I can say for me, at my house, we always have an open-door policy, because it's something we're called to do as Christians. And I want to encourage you to take this trait to heart as something that we're really arming ourselves with to build the community of believers. If you only have a, a room to just fit two people and a tiny table in your kitchen, then do that. <laughs> but don't be too quick to say, well, it's not possible, I can't do it. But choose to really be hospitable, especially amidst this community and our church family. And the reason I think this is so important is because we also see this in the symbol that God uses in how he's calling us to him. He gives the example several times throughout the Bible of preparing a place for us, preparing a table. He invites us to sit. He's preparing a feast, a wedding feast for us. And he's saying, I'm, in, I'm doing this for you. I mean, I want to do this for you. I want to be a servant to you. I want to be a host for you. And so if God is doing that for us, how much more should we then do it for one another? And as a side note, it's also a really great way to invite someone over who maybe isn't a believer. Maybe you're like, I don't know if they'd come to church with me, but I'm sure they'd come over and eat with you. And then you can really pound them about Jesus. No. Like, sorry, you're stuck now. You don't get dessert till you hear about Jesus. No. You can try that. I don't know. They may not come back, but... But in, in, in seriousness, though, it, it can be a really good way to just, over a meal, there's, we see that a lot in the way Jesus interacted. It's a good thing. And lastly, let's read the last uh, two verses, or the uh, verse 10 and 11, and this is the last thing to arm ourselves with, is we have gifts and we need to use them. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received and serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Now, as we're getting a bit late, I'll sum this up a bit quicker. That There's a lot more we could talk about gifts. There's better lists than this of the gifts of the Spirit. And we've talked about this before. I hope that we'll talk about it again in the future. But I want to just say, you have a gift. You have a gift. God has given you a gift. And I want to encourage you to use that gift for His glory. You can use God's gifts wrongfully for selfish reasons. But we want to be good stewards, faithful stewards, it says. Faithful stewards of God's grace, of what He's given you, of what He's in, in planted in you to use. And all gifts of God can be put into a singular purpose, and that is to serve others. We're meant to serve one another with what God has given us, to serve our communities with what the gifts that God has given us. And all the, he, he breaks the, the gifts down into these two categories of speaking and serving, but both of them are meant to be used to serve others. So whatever your gift is, I want to encourage you to use it and never feel like you're too weak or too timid to have any impact. And it says to, to serve, and we can also put in speak, serve or speak with the strength God provides. 
He gave you the gifts, and He will give you the strength to use them. And I, I know this from my own experience. I'm, I'm proof of that. I, most of my life, I had a terrible fear of public speaking, believe it or not. And I still struggle with anxiety sometimes. But to date, God has never led me to do anything, never led me to stand up to speak or serve in any way without giving me the strength, the words to speak. And so whatever your gift is, he will give you what you need. But following God always is a step of risk, a step of faith. And so if you are on the fence about what, how to use your gift, step into it anyway. If you're unsure, if you're good enough, if you're strong enough, Step into it and God will be there to lift you up. And ultimately, what is the purpose of everything? All glory to God through Jesus Christ. The end of verse 11. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's do all that we do. Let's arm ourselves. Let's build our community. Let's change our perspective towards sin to glorify God. And the truth is that all that we have, all power, all gifts, everything that we have within us, it's already his anyway. It all came from him. And so to honor him with what he's given us is to understand who God is in relation to us, to know who we are to him. He is God Almighty, creator of everything, all-knowing, omnipotent, And in the midst of that, he calls you daughter. He calls you son. And to grasp this truth is to see the depth of the love that we have been shown in every breath we take, every gift we've we've received from the Lord. And how then can we not use it, do all that we can with all of our heart, all all our might, all our strength to honor our Heavenly Father with what he has given us. I'll invite the band to come up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the assurance we have. We thank you, Father, for this armor of an attitude that you demonstrated as you laid down your life on the cross of your own free will. Help us to grasp this, to embrace it, And to live it out in every area of our life. To change the way that we see sin. That we wouldn't get close but seek you instead. Treasure you above whatever this world has to offer. Lord, that in this armor we would also arm one another. In building up this community. In prayer and loving one another. And serving one another and being hospitable towards one another. And ultimately, Lord, we want to do all that we do to glorify you, to see you praised, to see the name of Jesus Christ lifted up. So give us strength this week, this day, to stand firm for what we believe in and the assurance we've been given through Jesus Christ. Amen.